Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. Now we begin. <laughs> is that is that correct? Um, that long? Would you like to read? Yes. We. Oui. Now we begin to get the picture that there is a lot that has been going in our in our life for a long time that we were simply unaware of. We came to the community to find peace to find in a kind of utopia expecting that it will make up for the, fa- for the fact that we ourselves aren't entirely perfect human beings. Perhaps in this utopia we will become enlightened and our problem will end. Few of us actually think their thoughts that badly, but in fact most of us have some fuzzy and unexaminated version of them in our mind as we want. But instead of this scenario, we find that we are living in an extremely flowered community and that far from being not entirely perfect, we're actually a raging mass of passion, confusion, bitterness, ever, and contradiction. And instead of anything remotely like enlightenment or even a little peace of mind is very far away. In other words, we're much worse off now than we began. So we have to acknowledge that the, the job we've undertaken is much larger than we thought. It's going to take quite a while and part of what we need to do is to make up our mind and that we're really going to do it. We're uh, already going to roll up our sleeves and stay in it for the long haul, one or two or three thousand lifetimes. That's a great parable. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody else. So we enter the third stage and we begin to explore honestly and without too much idealism the actual nature of our commitment to practice and to the community. And this is a very difficult thing to do because now we are really looking without too much distraction to find many attitudes in ourselves and they are not always consistent with one another. We want to practice always to take vows as a lay or priest practitioner to devote ourselves completely to the path, there's absolutely nothing else to do. 
Many people feel these things sometimes, perhaps rarely or perhaps on a regular basis. But how strongly do we feel them and how do we know whether or not to act on them? But even if we feel a strong and clear sense of commitment, there may be at the same time many other strong feelings. We want also to get married, have a house, a career, children. We want to travel to serve others more directly. Or maybe we're just restless or we know somehow this isn't the place or time. We need to go to another tradition or another teacher or group. And so on and on and on. This is really a difficult stage and it can go on for some time. In fact, it should go on for some time. If we make a determination too soon about how our commitment really is, it's probably wrong. We probably haven't listened to ourselves enough. There are a lot of cases of people who leave at this stage and really shouldn't have. And there are cases too of people who make commitments that they regret having made. So it's good to take our time and to seek advice from teachers and other senior and junior students. The advice doesn't help at all that much. <laughs> In fact, we've got to come to what we come to do to on our own. Sometimes following the view of someone else whom we admire can be a big problem. And our elders have to be careful to be, sens to be sensitive to what they're hearing from us and not to impose their wishes and views on us. Nevertheless, the advice can serve as a useful and probably a necessary mirror. So everybody's following, I hope, that we've gone through three stages now. Mm -hmm. The honeymoon stage. That's the next one. The trail. The trail. And that one. Commitment. Okay, let's keep going. The fourth thing I call commitment and life, which sounds like an oxymoron, but is, I think, a good name for it. In this stage, we have come to find solid ground under our commitment. We accept our wobbling and human mind and know now that underneath it there is finally something solid and reliable, although we are often out of touch with it. Looking back, we can see how much we have changed since we entered the practice. We see how much we are the same too, of course, but the change is apparent. We are more solid, we are calm. We are quieter in our spirit and less apt to fly off the handle inside or outside. Not as solid or as calm or as quiet as we had hoped or expected to be, but we have by now given up that hope as unrealistic and we are all more able to settle for how it actually is with us and to find it good or at least acceptable with a degree of joy. So we feel ready to make a commitment to the practice and the community. This commitment can only take one form, renunciation of one sort or another, a giving up of self and personal agenda, as we see that self and personal agenda don't, in fact, help us to get what we want and really need in our lives. The Can you read that sentence one more time? Yeah. This commitment 
can only take one form, renunciation of one sort and another, a giving up of self and personal agenda, as we see that self and personal agenda don't in fact help us to get what we want and really need in our lives. Could you just read that one more time? <laughs> <laughs> this commitment can only take one form, renunciation of one sort and another, a giving up of self and personal agenda, as we see that self and personal agenda don't in fact help us to get what we want and really need in our lives. They only cause suffering. As this becomes more and more apparent to us, we are more willing to enter into a serious commitment to the practice. In fact, after a while, we feel that without even choosing to do so, we have already done so. There isn't any other way. We are committed. We have already renounced our life. Here is where we take on a responsible position and make a practical commitment to stay in the community for some time, or take initiation as a priest or lay practitioner. We feel responsible for the community. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. All the running around, and then we say, okay, I'm in. <laughs> Has anyone had to do this before? I'm in. It's almost like um, now, nowadays, because we have so many choices all the time, you actually have to shut some doors. And, and, and you're much, much richer for it. Much richer for it. And um, then uh, you can discover that you're much more of a mess. <laughs> than you thought. Because <laughs> from the outside we say, oh, we're going to commit, and then inside that there's going to be some real peace. But you commit, and inside that you're looking at the mirror. And I like that line that says, you know, we're much more of a tangled mess than, than we realize. And then what has to be given up? It's like all those things that we create to buffer up our identity. It's exhausting. Does anybody feel exhausted? <laughs> I won't tell anybody. Let's keep going. But as soon as we feel settled in our commitment, Particularly if that commitment is marked by a particular event, such as, an, such as ordination or entering the monastery on a long-term basis, the demons of confusion return. Immediately, our old interests and desires come back in force. Maybe we fall hopelessly in love the day before we are to go off to the monastery for an indefinite... Indef, in, how do you say that? Indefinite indefinite stay, or maybe we find ourselves roaring drunk two days after our ordination as a priest. <laughs> Such things have actually happened. They catch us quite off guard. We had thought we had the thing figured out, but what we hadn't counted on 
was the fact that there were still a fair number of unopened doors in our heart, and the power of the commitment <coughs> we are now ready to make and have made is such that it violently throws up open those doors and we are shocked at what we find inside. We are humbly, we are humbled by the sheer power of our uh, our own of our own and therefore of human passion, humbled and shocked and amazed. We are reeling perhaps for some time with this, more ashamed and confused than ever. It is unusual, I think, for people to enter the monastery for a long stay or to take ordination as a priest without suffering some version of this. And it's someone else. It is in many cases a rude awakening. Sometimes our teacher and elders seem very knowing when this happens to us. Sometimes they, sometimes they even have a chuckle over it. This can be either comforting or maddening, depending on our temperament. At this stage, sometimes there literally is flight. People take off, disappear overnight, run off with a lover, leave the monastery in the middle of the night. But such things are becoming more rare. More often it's an internal drama. You see it in people's faces, a kind of grim determination mixed with a very pure innocent, even if the person is middle-aged or older when this happens. The power and surprise of these feelings is enough to send any of us back to square one with almost no identity left. In fact, the work of this stage is the reconstitution of identity. And this is why we feel often like children now, like babies. And this, of course, feels wonderful and terrible at the same time. Because we thought we were grown up, we thought we were advanced. <laughs> <coughs> One more paragraph. This uncomfortable state is cured only with the passage of time, which is the greatest healer if we will let it be. Time will heal everything. This is its nature. Usually we hold on to the past and so don't allow time to do its real work in our lives. But those who get this far in the practice usually, but not always, have enough concentration inside and enough support outside to avoid this entrapment, and so they can allow time to work its magic. And after a while, they can settle into their new commitment, go beyond the childlike stage, and begin to mature. They reconstitute their lives around their new commitments. They take on new practices, new studies, even their dharma relationships. Let go of all aspirations and fantasies and illusions, and are content to just go on day by day with the practice. More time passes. Thank you. Um, so there's a sentence in this paragraph, which is what I wanted to end on today. Um, Those who get this far in the practice usually, but not always, have enough concentration inside and enough support outside to avoid this entrapment. 
so they can allow time to work its magic, and after a while they can settle into their new commitment, go beyond the childlike stage, and begin to mature. So, uh, my hope in six days together is that what we can really explore is how to find in ourselves that stability. Enough concentration in the inside that we can start to trust ourselves in a deeper way. And I'm talking about trusting the part of ourself that's deeper and stronger and more rooted uh, than the part up here that's running around trying to manage things and make sense of everything. You know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. There's a saying in practice that the student is like a little chick <laughs> inside a shell, tapping. And the teacher is like the mother outside the shell, tapping. And they both have to tap for the thing to open up. But when you're distracted and you're running around scared, you are just tapping all over the place. So the key is to find that place to tap. Trungpa Rinpoche uh, called it the raw spot, which I really like. That raw spot in all of us. When you keep tapping it, you get more childlike. And from there, with enough external support, something really changes. I hope that's the message of the day. Things change, and you're part of the author. Sometimes we're all philosophically, oh, everything's changing, but actually you're part of that process that's not separate from the choices that you make. Isn't it also the question of getting there where you feel you can rely on yourself to make that change? That you know you will stay, stay in it. Trust yourself yes. to keep on the road or the track or whatever. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and that's so that's why I was saying, I mean it's a w in a way it's similar to the smurf question. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you have some kind of intention intention to do something and in the back of your head you know you're not gonna do it. Yeah. You don't really trust yourself to uh-huh. do it. And yeah. you so in in when I talked about three characteristics of mindfulness, do you remember what they were? No judgment, mm-hmm. an absence of commentary, and intention. Mm-hmm. So when you sit, okay, you're learning how to stay with an experience without getting seduced by the commentary and the judgment. Mm-hmm. And that's where the trust, shraddha, confidence comes from. Really having confidence in something that's not the running around. And and that's where practice comes in. Because we can all read books like The Power of Now. You know, and say, oh my God, yeah, I just really want to be like that. But actually, um, you really need to practice. I, I'm a kind of sucker for practice. And over time, you get supported by the practice in all of these stages. And the maturation happens. Keep pecking. Are you enjoying this uh, paper as much as I am? I've read this so many times, it just gets better and better. It's like, oh, I'm at that stage now?
Any other comments before we before we finish? <laughs> yes. We just some of us just talked about maybe trying again to start up a group or sangha or what you like to call it to maybe continue on some of this. So um, I don't know what is the right how it's right to do it, but mm -hmm. we thought maybe we could start with emailing out after this workshop everyone yeah. and then we can yeah maybe on email discuss how we can do it. Mm. Yeah. yeah, everybody says this every year. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then I get all these emails. Is it okay? But, like, just make it up. Yeah. Invent it. Like, there's nobody, there's nobody out there going, bad lady. <laughs> um, you don't need to be authorized to start a sangha. This is a, an anarchist lineage. And then there will be time where certain people who might be leaders will show up. It's naturally human. And the community should support them to lead and to study more and to train. And you can do this together. And you, ha you have my support. Uh, you just tell me what you need. Um, but I would really like that to, to happen. And maybe as the week goes on, we can talk more about um, how that can happen. I'm not organizing anything. <laughs> how many people are continuing on tomorrow? I mean, how many people are not continuing on tomorrow? Do you have jobs or something? <laughs> we'll be coming around tomorrow for a free lunch at the place of work <laughs> with our own bowls. <laughs> it's nice to have you here, Martin. And uh, it's nice to have the yellow robes here. <laughs> um, so let's uh, finish by chanting. Uh, I just want to add one thing to the chant. Is um, you know the part where it says. Um, Awaken, awaken. And then there's a line that says, do not squander your life. Okay. So the way that line happens is that instead of me saying, do not squander, do not squander your life, and then us all repeating it, the way it should go is after we say, let us awaken, awaken, the timekeeper, who tomorrow is going to be dressed up like a cheerleader. This is Irene. Oh, it's going to be even better. So she's going to say, do not squander your life. So she's going to whisper that to you. And then you don't repeat it. You just take that in, and then we go straight to the Brahma Viharas. My retranslation of the Brahma Viharas. Okay? Does that, does that make sense? All right. So let's chant together with Olaf. So you'll remember that. Yes, I'll try. Life and death are of supreme importance. Life and death are of supreme importance. Time passes swiftly and opportunity is lost. Time passes swiftly and opportunity is lost. Let us awaken. Let us awaken. 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 May 
all beings be happy. May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be safe and free from danger. May all beings be safe and free from danger. May all beings be free from their ancient and twisted karma. May all beings be free from their ancient and twisted karma. May all beings be free from every form of suffering. May all beings be free from every form of suffering. May our troops realize wisdom and compassion. May our troops realize wisdom and compassion. Thank you. Sleep well. <laughs> <laughs>